and welcome to Not A Fire Do You First, the podcast that takes our favorite properties and reboots them before Hollywood has the chance to. It's a little bit like brainstorming fanfiction. I'm Lindsay, and I use she, her pronouns. I'm Tanner, they, them, and, you know, Halloween might be done, but we can still stalk. Well, yes, we can stalk about scary things, like stalkers and teen boys. I mean, it's bonfire week, and uh, stalking teen boys deserve to be put into the bonfire, so. Yes, unless we remove the stalking entirely. Yeah, which we're probably going to do. Anyway, so we're talking about Twilight. Yes, by popular demand. Yeah. Why'd we even put it on there? Ah, fuck it. Yeah. It was your idea. Yeah. It's all my fault. Anyway, so we're talking about Twilight. We all know what Twilight is. How young is our audience? Do I need to explain the premise? I don't think you do, because there was recently a resurgence for whatever reason. And so, like, COVID. I think even if the it, people... it was COVID related. Everybody was bored and rereading their books. Yeah, because they're not like us and they didn't just get caught in an infinite loop of giving them to each other as gag gifts for the holidays. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, boring girl Bella moves to the Forks in Washington and meets stalker vampire Edward. And there's an attempt at a deeper plot, but it's all about the staring into each other's eyes. <laughs> anyway, we're rebooting them because the first movie actually had some potential for doing something interesting with the series, but then they changed directors. And sort of like the situation with Fifty Shades of Grey, where the original author just had a stranglehold over the work so that it couldn't fully blossom into something interesting until like that one scene in the final movie yeah it's like the original director was the only person willing to like butt heads with stephanie meyer mm -hmm. and then the next person's like oh yeah teen teens and vampires in love wow <laughs> and it was a dude oh well he, he still sounded like that yeah <laughs> now i will point out that the original twilight director Catherine hardwick after being booted from the Twilight sequel movie, she then went on to make the edgy Red Riding Hood with Amanda Seyfried. Yeah. Which was also not ideal. Yeah. Like, was that her? Was that the script? Was that the studio? Who knows? The point is, I would by the end of tonight, I would like Twilight to be remade for the monster fuckers. Yeah. <laughs> so we are on the side of, uh, I guess, Team Jacob. Yeah. Yeah. We're fixing things. We're fixing a lot of things. I don't know if we're going to just fully turn this into luminosity, but... I don't know. I have weird feelings about Rational Fix, but anyway, I don't know. Give Bella more personality other than, uh, present and judgy? And we're destroyed by facts and logic. Oh, God. So... So... I have ideas, but technically you're spearheading this episode, so you Yeah, start. no, I want as many ideas because, like, I only have, like not even a full page of potential ideas. The only thing I have for like the last movie is we are ripping off Carlisle's head. <laughs> <laughs> that could work with mine. <laughs> but I was thinking of making it into a trilogy instead of the five films we got because, okay, the last film is one of those books that did not need to be split up because honestly, it was just riding the Harry Potter coattails and <sighs> Deathly Hollow should have just been like, you could have cut so much stuff from that book and nothing would have changed. Wrecking the adaptations of a bunch of YA novels is pretty low on the bar for things that Harry Potter ruined, which makes it kind of funny that everyone did it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I was thinking of making it into a trilogy because going through the synopses because I didn't want to sit through all of those goddamn movies and I'm not reading the books. Uh <laughs> 
basically, the second book, nothing happens for the first two thirds, then a lot of shit happens in the last third. Because well, that's I, I I agree that that would have to be restructured, but I do I ha- will have to say in defense of the second book. <laughs> Probably the best literary depiction of a depression that I've ever seen. Yes, but it makes for a... Unless you want to have the slow, ponderous, like, deep-dive psychological shit into depression, where we get Lars von Trier for that, it's called Melancholia. A24's Twilight. (laughs) (laughs) Where we have to go to Denmark to film this, because he doesn't like to fly. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, it is... No, okay, listen. Everybody knows Twilight. Not everybody knows New Moon. You probably didn't read New Moon. But there is a section in New Moon where Jacob is like, I'm dangerous, Bella. Or not Jacob. I mean, Jacob does that too. But first Edward does it. Edward goes, I'm dangerous, Bella. I'm breaking up with you. And the entire Cullen family just dips. They're gone from forks. And then, you know, Bella screams into the woods. And the props to uh, Kristen Stewart for also doing that too. Like, full-on just guttural shrieking. Yeah. And then, like, the next ten page are just like, October happened. Chapter 3, November happened. Chapter 4, December happened. And it just goes like that until spring. And they'll find it's like, Jacob took off his shirt and I was done depression. It doesn't happen exactly like that, but it kind of happens like that. But the depression chapters, in hindsight, I'm like, damn, October really did happen. (laughs) I mean, after the two years we've had, yeah, time kind of actually works like that. (laughs) Maybe Stephanie Meyer's The Twilight Saga New Moon is the friends we made along the way. Yeah. Uh, But when it comes to making films, like, you can smush New Moon and Eclipse into a single film. Yeah. And then, yeah, third film, we're keeping that surprise, like, almost ending. (laughs) (laughs) Because it's better than the actual ending in the book. Yeah, I want there to be a war, a vampire war. I want it to be executed more like it was in the movie than in the book. Yeah. Yeah. So in general, like the first film, I think can stay not as is. It does need improvements. Like we do need to take out the fucking stocking. Like, dear God. What is it with Mormon people and being weird about romance? (laughs) Honestly, I think the biggest thing is that we need to adjust how Edward is. Yeah. I remember off camera you were saying maybe Bella and Edward don't get together. Mm-hmm. I see you that and I raise you. Edward has no romantic interest in Bella to begin with. Okay. Because she's his descendant. Ah. So here's, do, do you want me to give you my pitch kind of? Yes. So when Bella goes to Forks, it's not just because, I mean, it's kind of because her dad's there, but the reason that she has family connections there is because the... What's Bella's fucking last name? Swan. Swan. The Swan family are like distant descendants from the cousins, or not the cousins. Well, maybe they are cousins with the Cullens. The the point being, they're related. <laughs> Edward, who was alive during the Chicago flu a hundred years ago, uh, he's been seventeen a while. He he either had like a niece or an actual child or something going on there, and so he is like the Cullens are there to look out for the descendants. Yeah. And so they've been looking out for Charlie, now they're looking out for Bella. And so the reason- <laughs> I do want to keep the scene in where Edward starts kind of gagging when Bella tries flirting with him, but it's not because, <laughs> oh, your blood is like my own distinct brand of heroin. It's because, oh god, no, you're my great-great-great-great-great-great-niece. <laughs> yeah, I, I like that, and I prefer that twist to be like, oh, I am- So I had an older sister who left for, like, Seattle, and then mom and I died! <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> during the Spanish flu pandemic. Topical. Yeah, that's basically the major change to that. Like, there isn't really that romantic connection and maybe have, like, Jacob be a, a bigger player in the first movie. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, the general plot of them running into Victoria and her crew, I'm thinking, okay, how about we make Victoria the bigger bad? Because I liked how she was portrayed in the movie, like, her and her crew. Oh, yeah. And give her a more active role in that, like, there is this brewing war, like, a civil, maybe, like, a civil war within the vampire community. I mean, they almost hinted that in yeah. the second book anyways. Because the second book is when they, like, Stephanie Meyer's like, oh, shit. Authors will build sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's when she introduces the Volturi. And they do say that the Volturi, like... They allow, oh, what's his, what's, what's Daddy Cullen's name? Carlisle. Carlisle. They allow Carlisle and the Cullens to live because they're like a cute experiment, but everyone's like one, there's always murmurs of, oh, Carlisle is make, gonna try and make a move to take out the Volturi and become like the next vampire leadership or something. Mm -hmm. They, they're never certain whether Carlisle is like a coup waiting to happen or just like weird hicks out in the woods. Yeah. And like, Maybe how the political structure with the vampires are is that, like, you have these clans that have territories because, like, there's always going to be a certain amount of vampires in any given area, but you don't want too many to, like, deplete your blood supply. Now, on the one hand, the Cullens are vegetarians in a vampiric sense in that they eat animal blood and you can sustain yourself on that. On the other hand, they're weirdos. Yeah. And maybe Carlisle does have some political clout within the vampire community because there's probably there probably are vampires who are still really not comfortable with the idea of i have to eat another person mm -hmm. and that's like that's another thing is that uh i should know never mind i maybe i'll get into that later but no never mind <laughs> continue <laughs> well no let's let's talk about it right now <laughs> okay so in breaking dawn or no wait a second shit which one is the one with the big fight what the fuck happens in eclipse Eclipse is like them preparing for the big fight. Well, Edward and Bella. Oh, that's no right. Okay, yeah. see, I was I was mixing Eclipse and Breaking Dawn together in my head because right, Eclipse is the one where Victoria shows up with her army. Yeah, a quote unquote army, and so that yeah, that's the thing that kind of weighed me it's out. It's more that... like a rumble. <laughs> <laughs> Victoria shows up with a bunch of like freshly turned vampires, and that is a plot point because it's like you have so many human blood still in your system when you're freshly turned, like in that first month or whatever that you're way powerful yeah but the thing that got me was how come all of these vampires immediately throw their lot in with victoria because this isn't any kind of like oh i'm your maker and i hold sway over you yeah nah, it's like it, your your vampire progenitor just turns you into vampire but then you can do whatever you want case in point carlisle turned into a vampire wandered out in the woods to starve to death and then ate a bunch of deer and i was like i've invented a new diet <laughs> <laughs> the nordic track for vampires <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's not like in og dracula where you get the sense that like once dracula has decided to turn you into a vampire you become like you almost get like a hive mind going on where it's like i have to go to my master and be with my master like you see with renfill and uh, mina it's like Stephanie Myers didn't really think out her vampire lore until she realized that, oh shit, I need a plot for these books. Well, I've, honestly, I do kind of like the Twilight vampires because they are such a different take. Yeah, that is true. Like, you don't have to always follow the same vampire lore all the time. Like, I 
the high mind vampires they've been done yeah i personally like a take that's kind of like taking some cues from i've told you this before about like uh an original piece i was outlining basically my vampires they're like tigers where they're territorial and fairly independent but like they have these family groups and the the children basically stick around mom but like they still have like their own space because again these are predators they need a whole bunch of space so that they don't deplete the food sources too badly and i remember from <laughs> the one vampire series that's set in toronto with henry the eighth's bastard son as the main vampire yeah so part of their lore is that after you get bed and after a certain period of time the progenitor and their descendant cannot be in the same space together like they start like fighting with each other over territory they're super territorial yeah like i think i, I can't remember if this is actually in the text but you could definitely infer that the cullens are in, like because they're vegetarians they're also outliers because they're larger than normal clan yeah like the Volturi can be a whole pack of vampires in Italy because they have a stranglehold on the city. But, like, you see Victoria and her group is just three. Yeah. And you imagine that that even itself is probably an outlier. Like, they probably, vampire. I'm not going to say they pair bond, but it's like, unless you're really good at balancing the polycule, someone's going to be a third wheel and get offed if they start try interfering on someone else's uh, territory. Yeah. Romantically. Yeah, like I imagine that with the Volturi, like they can have that many vampires in the same same spot because aside from like just having a stranglehold on not just the city, but like all of Italy, like these are yeah. all the vampires for all of Italy. And like specifically the food source. Yeah. Whereas, and again, because the Cullens don't have to worry about offing the populace, they're they're essentially big game hunters. Yeah. And I, I, I assume that the Cullens are uh, environmentally friendly. <laughs> 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 waste not want not <laughs> exactly they're not going to overhunt they eat as much as they need to feed yeah and so like that's they're they're a family of seven that are perfectly willing to become a family of eight with bella's introduction yeah and probably unlike other vampires they can sustain that large of a pack if you will or that large of a coven mm -hmm. so this is where i introduced the uh werewolf side of it yes so much has been made about the cultural appropriation that Stephanie Myers did and the effects that it put on the Quilluit people. Yeah, it was bad. It was a bad decision. Don't do this to First Nations people and Native yeah. American people. So I learned a thing about the Bronze Age. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and the Proto-Indo-European people. So the Proto-Indo-European languages, for people who don't know, is sort of like this theoretical mother language for all of the indo-european languages so this is like everything from english to hindi yeah and through kind of reconstructing what these people were like who created the proto-indo-european language trying to figure out like what their religion was like and their societies and all that and also like not just through studying the language but also studying archaeology and all that sort of stuff there's this idea this hypothetical brotherhood called the Corios, which uh, is a reconstructed word meaning army, people under arms, detachment, and war party. And the general idea, I'm getting this from Wikipedia, is that this is a brotherhood of warriors in which unmarried young males served for a number of years before fully integrating with their host society in the context of a rite of passage into manhood. And the big thing about these guys 
is that they mystically self-identified with wolves and dogs as symbols of death, promiscuity, lawlessness, and warrior fury. And the idea of liminality between invulnerability and death on one side and youth and adulthood on the other. So the general idea is that these guys are the progenitors for organizations or like archetypes like the berserker and werewolves. And you can see this in descendant cultures like in ancient Greece. You have what's called the Cryptea. It's one of the parts of the agogi that Spartan boys would go through. You can see this in the Irish Finian cycle where, uh, with the depictions of the Fianna, who were associated with Finn McCool, and the name of Cuculain. It literally translates to the Hound of Cuculain. So I think it's a little less cultural appropriate of, of being like skin changers. And it's like, no, this is this ancient band of shape-shifting warriors who have kind of policed the line between the lands of the living the lands of the dead and they go after vampires or they might have like this long history with vampires because they also straddle the liminality of life and death being mm. undead okay and how they're going to factor into this is uh i'm not entirely sure but i thought it was better than you know appropriating the quilluet people See, my thinking is just make them more like traditional werewolves. Okay. Maybe to further keep them different from the vampires, it is hereditary rather than something that can be like passed on via bite. Yeah. Um, but don't make all of the werewolves First Nations people. Like, yeah. Keep, keep Jacob a werewolf, but like maybe, hmm. We, we don't want to be appropriating anything or imposing any kind of like stereotypes upon the Quillettes. Like we, or no, sorry, how is it pronounced? Quilluet. Quilluet. We don't want to be imposing any kind of like negative stereotypes upon them, but we also don't want to solve this by writing them out entirely. Yeah, that's the thing. So I think making this like quasi-hereditary or maybe like there's some magic involved, like not like the bite thing, like a lot of old werewolf lore involves like putting on a cloak of- Okay. Yeah. Like from the Volsaga saga, the generation before Sigurd- Two of his ancestors, they got their hands on wolf pelts, turned into wolves for a bit, did some stuff, and then one of them wasn't able to turn, like, I guess he stayed, it's kind of like Animorphs, where you stay in that form for too long and you get stuck. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like, what if they're sort of like warrior wizards, let's say, in a way. So you, you've actually, you've accidentally kind of mentioned the plot of the Netflix show, The Order. Oh. Which it is about a, a secret a secret order within a secret fraternity that use like five ancient wolf cloaks to become werewolves to fight evil wizards. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying that's bad. I'm just saying that's immediately where my mind went. Covergent evolution of ideas. <laughs> yes. Dr drawing from the same old myths. <laughs> this is the crab theory of ideas. <laughs> so what... Mm, okay, here, here's an idea. So we could say that the Jacob's family, the black family, they yeah. have like a few wolf cloaks that yeah. they have passed down through generations, but it's not because werewolves are not a part of the Kuluitz folklore or yeah. anything. We could say that these cloaks aren't like descendant from them. They were brought over by the colonists. Yeah, and they got their hands on them. They, they were seen as a threat initially, but then they were able to quote unquote tame the wolves that were created from the cloaks, mm -hmm. and then they incorporate not not part of like 
their mythology, but like it did become kind of their culture and like, okay, here's your duty. We, you have the cloaks. We're going to pass this down the bloodlines or to, you know, whoever in the band we feel can use them adequately. Yeah. And you're basically going to have to be the guardians against any weird supernatural stuff. And then we can still keep this kind of like stalemate going on between the Cullens and the Blacks. Yeah. Because probably the biggest thing that they're worried about is like, okay, you've been feeding on animal blood but one of you's got to give one of you's got to be tempted into drinking human blood mm -hmm. and maybe the what they fear is like once they start drinking human blood they won't stop yeah and th then maybe they reveal themselves in the first movie like at the end yeah and it's spurned on because of the arrival of victoria and then the cullens and like okay we've seen you again in action we have a little bit more we don't completely trust you but we have a little bit more faith that you are on the side of good so let's turn this like stalemate truce into like a protection truce mm -hmm. because we know Victoria got away. She's going to show up and do some shit, I'm sure. Yeah. And now I just realized how does Bella fit into all this? Because like the big point is that she gets preggers with the- Well, Dempsey. obviously that's not going to happen now. Yeah, this is not going to happen. Like what is her special thing? Maybe she's not special in like the mystical sense. She's special in the- she 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 comes in with a little bit of main character syndrome. Yeah. <laughs> but it's in the sense of, I'm going to help you protect this town. I've assigned myself as the local Buffy. Okay. <laughs> like, the first, I mean, maybe she's hunted in the first book because she's Victoria's specific brand of heroine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Bella's like... Oh wait. No, no, I got I've solved I've solved all of our problems. I've made everyone happy, Glinzy. <laughs> Tell me. <laughs> so, Edward and most of the Cullens have been the the age that they are for a while. Yeah. But in our version, you know who hasn't been 17 for a while? You know who's only been 17 for like two years? Who? Alice. <gasps> <gasps> I love it. <laughs> How did we not start from here immediately? <laughs> Lesbians! <laughs> Alice, popularly known as, you know, the most underrated Twilight character. Well, not underrated. Everyone loves her. But the most underutilized Twilight character. Yes. <laughs> because she has psychic powers. Yeah. Well, and Bella also has psychic powers. Yeah. Because she has the immunity. So it's kind of like they come together because Bella's like this weird blank spot on... So, so kind of similar to how Edward falls for Bella. Yeah. Alice falls for Bella because Alice never knows what's coming with Bella. She's like, you're always a surprise. Mm -hmm. And so, that's how they kind of fall for each other. Yeah. And then Alice kind of doubles down on Edward's declaration of protection when Victoria becomes a threat. And so then Bella's like, obviously I'm sticking with you guys because A, you'll protect me, but also I want to help protect the other people in this town. Yeah. Wait, what if Bella's human friends were like real people? <laughs> yes. What if she wasn't judgy towards them? <laughs> <laughs> We're bringing Anna Kendrick back. Yep. Yo, what if Anna Kendrick played Victoria, though? Oh, I can see the, the tension right there. <laughs> but no, I want to, like, I want Bella to be actual friends with, like, Mike and Jess and Angela and Eric. Yeah. I liked Mike. I never, I never understood why Bella never gave Mike a second glance in the first book, because he's such an ooh-woo jock. Yeah. It's so... <sighs> Stephanie Meyer had her idea and she's like, nope, we are railroading this story right now. <laughs> she's like the DM who won't let you deviate off the path. <laughs> yeah, so 
I know that this is going to be in film form, but like it's fairly easy to flesh out these characters. Just give them like better scripts and have them involved more often as like the Scooby Squad. Yeah. The Scooby Gang. And then throw in yeah. Jacob in there. Oh, we, we we keep on accidentally inventing Buffy. <laughs> it's fine, though. Yeah. You know what? I'm not saying it's Joss Whedon. It's just, it's a good story idea. Yeah. Also, like, Buffy has a lot of moving parts. Buffy yeah. is already a good story. I'm not saying you can't reboot it. It's just that it takes a lot more work to make a reboot worthwhile. Whereas Twilight is almost a blank slate, honestly. <laughs> yes! <laughs> like, Stephanie Meyer... To her credit, had a few good ideas, and I believe Dominic Noble when he says that she would make for an excellent horror writer if she let herself. But she doesn't realize it's horror because it's all like... Romance! Uh. She's not a good romance writer! <laughs> <laughs> so the first book is just Victoria and yeah. her polycule. <laughs> yes. The second book is, it introduces the Volturi, but it's still Victoria and her trying to round up an army. Yeah, so maybe she tries going for the older vampires first because, like, they're already used to this stuff and they might have opinions about the Cullens. Oh, so you're saying that she basically asks the Volturi's permission to take out the Cullens? Yeah, because the Volturi don't like Carlisle. Yeah, I can get behind that. Yeah, and that's where we get Jacob involved as, like, the regional protector He's like, uh, no, how about no? I'm putting my foot down here. And joins up with Bill and her crew, who are probably mostly doing research and, you know, getting shit ready. Because they gotta arm up. They do an arm up scene, like, every season of Stranger Things. <laughs> Someone's gotta have the bat with a whole bunch of nails in it. <laughs> research ready to, you know, kill vampires, probably. and. Maybe Victoria does try to make a whole bunch of new vampires who are going to be obedient to her and it doesn't work out. Yeah, like some of them, some of them are probably stray, but I would imagine like she could try and target people who are more willing to follow her or just like, if I turn you a vampire, can you kill everything in the direction I point you in? They're like, yes, absolutely. I'd love to. Mm -hmm. Whereas like she, you know, she's probably, yeah, she's probably going to try and just transforming a bunch of random people and they don't all agree with her so then maybe she just goes and like grabs a gang or something or yeah. maybe she doesn't just rely on vampires maybe she's able to grab like another werewolf but this one isn't like again since this werewolf is completely separate from what's going on this one's like oh yeah i just like murder it's fun yeah yeah giving into the more baser berserker instincts yeah and then either mike or jessica they're the ones who manage to take that werewolf out, and then they get to inherit that cloak. Nice. Okay. So, probably for this middle part, Victoria is defeated, and then the third part we get, like, the final battle with the, with the Volturi. Yes. And so, Ren Renesmee does not exist. Yeah. <laughs> God, that was, that was such a Mormon name. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Mormons, but, like... Yeah. Anyway, this is the big fight where the Volturi are like, alright, gloves are off. Victoria didn't work out for us. We're gonna go and battle the Cullens. Yeah. I feel like it would open with an action set piece where they try sending another agent or two after them, like they send uh, the shitty kids. Yeah. What were the names of the shitty kids? Hang on. Uh, Jane and Alec. Yeah. Yeah, they send the shitty kids after the Cullens, and the Cullens and the Blacks and like Bella's friends manage to take them out, and now it's like, okay, the Volturi are clearly targeting us directly. 
we need to start Avengers assembling. And so that's when they like basically put out the, the Gondor calls for aid and they get uh, Rami Malek and a cowboy man. <laughs> Those are the only two I remember. Yeah. <laughs> we, oh, we could also, at the end of New Moon slash Eclipse, at the end of movie two, Bella yeah. can be bitten and it is to a degree that they can't suck the venom out like they did last time. Yeah. And so it's like, okay, we're going to walk you through the transformation. And so the third movie is also now Bella learning how to be a vampire. Yeah. Also, Charlie, Charlie knows. At some point, Charlie knows. Yeah. And he's going to fight the Volturi with his shotgun. (laughs) (laughs) I imagine Charlie's entire reaction is, oh, my daughter's a fucking vampire. Fucking Christ. (laughs) All right. (laughs) It's Charlie Swan and Billy Black in the truck. (laughs) Both with shotguns. Can they run over over a Volturi vampire? (laughs) 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 They've got they've got the chains on the wheels so that like because to kill a vampire in Twilight you basically have to rip the head off and they're made out of metal. Yeah, you have to rip the head off and then burn it. So they've got the chains on the tire so that they can just smash through into it, rip it up like that. Then Billy just grabs it by the hair and goes yeet. (laughs) They just like equip like it's the fucking zombie apocalypse. Someone has to mention World War Z at some point. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, we have the big battle. There are actual stakes. Yes, Carlisle will die. Volturi will raise his head up like a fucking trophy. Yes. And then, I don't know, that's when Bella comes in and fucking just destroys shit. Yeah. Oh, maybe Bella is something of an athlete. Like, actually give her stuff to do at school. Yeah, other than, like, muse. Yeah. Like, I don't know. She was on the... My mind went to wrestling. I don't know how you feel about that. I want to do basketball because... Okay. What, so, I, if, if I remember correctly, Mike was on the football team in the books. Yeah. And so if we change that to basketball, like the... It's not going to be like, uh, girls can't play basketball, but it's going to be like, oh, I heard you on the basketball team at your old school. Let's see what you got. And then the... Not the meet cute necessarily, but like the the platonic friendship meet cute is yeah. Bella and Mike playing basketball against each other. They're playing a game of horse or just regular one on one, and and the whole school guy was like, "Wow, look at the new girl fucking own Mike." <laughs> it's like in Revolutionary Girl Utena, where Utena beats all the boys at basketball in like the first episode. <laughs> you know, I've always said the Twilight should be more like Revolutionary Girl Utena. <laughs> You know what? Bella's not turning into a vampire. At the end of this, she turns into a car. (laughs) She fucks and she kills. We have come full circle. Yes. Let's chase. Let's have Allison and Bella just consummate their relationship at the end of movie one. (laughs) And then, you know, we don't have to worry about Bella getting pregnant with the, the ancient cryogenically frozen sperm. Oh god, that was gross. We could still break the bed, though. Yes. Just because that's still kind of funny. <laughs> it's gotta be the millennials version of, like, in Titanic when Kate Winslet, like, was it Leonardo or or Kate? Whoever in the car, like, whips up their arm and does, like, the whole slide up, slide down on the front on, like, the condensation on the inside of the car during the sex scene. I don't know whose hand that was. Yeah, it doesn't matter. They were having a good time. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's the thing. Bella and Alice have a really good time. (laughs) (laughs) And, and, 
because of oh no, Alice, I was gonna say Alice can tell when she might risk uh, hurting Bella with her super strength with, with her powers, but no, she does. She wouldn't because Bella's immune. Yep. Oh, uh, you know, Alice would roll up like a manic pixie dream girl to Bella because yeah. you know, like Ed, Edward is gonna casually mention over breakfast they don't eat breakfast, but he's gonna casually mention like, oh, uh, so uh, Charlie's daughter moved in, and Alice is gonna be like, what? Why did I see this coming? What's going on? She like shows up beside Bella's locker. Hello, new girl. <laughs> you smell nice today. <laughs> yes, she would. <laughs> and then Edward looming behind her. Alice, don't be weird. <laughs> Alice, you're a baby. Please, please don't make this weird. <laughs> okay, I now have in my mind Edward kind of looking like Count Orlock. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's not going to look that extreme, but let's make him look more like Robert Plant. <laughs> or No, Robert Smith from uh, The Cure. He can still be played by Robert Pattinson is the thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's not much of a difference. He just like hunches his shoulders more, is very stiff, and it's clear like he, he doesn't comb his hair. He's instead of a student, he's like a TA. Yeah. It's just, you know, he's young enough where it's like... I have teenage siblings at the school. Siblings, in quotation marks. Yeah. See, ever Emmett and Rosalie and Jasper, I'd say that they can all pass for, like, just based on their backstory, they could all pass for teens. Yeah. Even then, I'm like, okay, why do all of them have to, like, go through high school multiple times? I think the argument is that, like, it'd be weird if they were all just sitting in the house and not interacting with the world, even though they have to do that, like, every 20 years so that they can... Past the argument that, you know, they want okay, but th- here's th- that the these thing. are just the descendants. Here's the thing. They live in America and there is such thing as homeschooling. Yeah. They could be the weird homeschooled kids. They could be, but you still see them about town, especially on really overcast days. So you move around a bit. I don't know, people have goldfish memories. Yeah, it's, I mean, you could make the argument that they can't adequately protect Forks if they're just staying in their house the whole time. Mm-hmm. But also if they were only seen in the dead of night wandering downtown alone, that would also be suspicious. Okay. So it's like, appear when there are people out so that you don't seem weird, but also don't draw attention to yourself so people don't remember your face for the next 30 years. Yeah. I'm just like, okay, I'm trying to remember like one of the towns I lived in compared to Forks. and Okay, so Duncan, British Columbia's a little bit bigger by like 1400 people and we had like multiple schools there was couch and secondary school with Kwamachin, which was the middle school is now attached to cow high queen margaret's which was a private school there was a christian school like and there was probably plenty of homeschooled kids so it's like you could theoretically like not know every teenager in the area yeah like it can probably be that Bella's actually a little surprised that it's as big as it is. Not that it's a sprawling town, but, like, it's it's of a, a decent size. Yeah. They have, like, I don't know, a small mall, I think. Yeah. And it's just the matter that, like, they're kind of tucked in in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, they're, like, way on the coast of Washington. They're in uh, Clallam County, Washington. And the town was founded on, or incorporated, August 7th, 1945. Yeah, so it it didn't even get town status until 45. Because hmm. it seems like it was just like a logging outpost for a long time. Okay. But, yeah. Which, again, I'm from Duncan. Relatable. <laughs> like, there's 
I don't know, ways around the whole Cullens being going through high school repeatedly. Yeah. And I just say maybe have them homeschooled for, say, 20 year intervals. But then Alice is the exception yeah. because her book backstory is that she was like put in, she was committed by her family because she already had a little bit of like precognitive ability. Mm-hmm. So we can say that she's missed out on a lot of life. And now she's like, I am going to high school. You, you really can't stop me. I am a vampire. Yeah. <laughs> so then Carla's like, okay, Edward, can you, you have like 17 different degrees. I'm sure one of them is a teaching degree. Can you just get a job there to make sure she doesn't do anything weird? Yes. <laughs> and then like immediately after the first day of school, Edward walks in, dad, Alice is hitting on the weird human chick. <laughs> <laughs> which human chick charlie's daughter fuck <laughs> yeah i don't know i don't know much more than that i don't think you can make this an extended universe series i mean maybe there's maybe. we've already built much more world than stephanie meyer ever did that is true yeah that is true and in the so the, the end kind of implies that like the other vampire allies that the Cullens are able to gather to fight the Volturi, they're now going to go off and spread the good word about, you know, not eating people. <laughs> Look, you can, in fact, eat animals. And maybe some people are like, we already been, have been doing this for a while, you fucks. Yeah. See, in, in the book, the ending is the leader of Volturi, Michael, who he can read minds, but instead... So... Ed- Edward can hear all the thoughts of everyone around him that they're thinking right now. Whereas Michael can only hear your thoughts if he touches you, but if he does so, he can basically see every thought you've ever had. Yeah. So the ending of the movie and well, the book and the movie both have Michael reading Alice, who can see the future, and basically showing him, here's how uh, mutually destructive it would be if you tried to actually fight the Cullens. And that's how we got that whole big fight scene in the Breaking Dawn movie. It was yeah. because that that was the vision that Alice had. Yeah. And then it just cuts to Michael pulling his head and going, oh, well, I guess we won't fight then. Toodaloo! And that's <laughs> it. But like in our version, the Volturi are actually getting wrecked. So yeah. then it would be like, oh, we just decapitated the head of the entire vampire governing body. We do kind of need to do like damage control. Yeah. <laughs> and then it's Twilight World Tour! <laughs> New governing body. Yes. <laughs> Vampire democracy. Yeah. One that doesn't require a bus full of sacrifices every year. Yeah. I think too many people would be wondering what the fuck, especially when we're talking about Italy. Like, it's one thing if we're talking about Italy in the 1960s during, like, the borderline civil war that was going on. Yeah. <laughs> Modern day Italy. It's one of those places where, like, yeah, you might be riding the trolley bus at Milan and suddenly it stops because all of the transit workers went on strike suddenly, but, like, it's not that bad. <laughs> one of my professors said that when he was in Italy as a student, like, one of the first words he learned in Italian was the word for strike. Because <laughs> they're like, them. yeah, get used to this. <laughs> <laughs> the vampires have gone on strike. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when you got eternally, the only thing you have left to break is your chains. Exactly. Also, we should probably make, like, not have Jasper be a confederate, because, again, I feel uncomfortable with that. Yeah. Uh, I forgot he was. I just remember the Civil War part. I forgot he was a confederate. So, yeah, he, he's not anymore. Yeah, just make a union besides it was a whole vampire scare in New England. Yeah. So, yeah. I don't know. He caught TB, and some... Carlisle was like, oh... Poor boy. I shall turn you into a vampire. Ah. <laughs> and I don't know, maybe Bella's 
power when she turns into a vampire is that, oh, I can negate other vampiric powers. Cool. Well, that, that was kind of how it worked in the sense that yeah. she had a, basically a stronger resilience to any vampire's powers and also that she could extend it to other people. Yeah. So like she, the, the, she and everyone else basically formed a red rover against every like she's kind of like the invisible woman <laughs> yeah they they all held hands and then they were able to resist the powers of like the other volturi agents coming at them until like alice went and said hey do this thing <laughs> oh yeah the cowboy I was, if i remember correctly the cowboy had like electric powers <laughs> he was like an electric eel he could zap you why not um and robbie malik had actual elemental powers Cool. I'm I'm debating if we want to. So I don't think it ever says what Carlisle and Esme's specific powers are, even if they have them. Mm-hmm. But it's like implied that uh, Emmett and Rosalie have powers as well, because Alice has the future. Jasper apparently can make himself look very boring, <laughs> which it, it makes sense because it's yeah. like you look at him, it's like, oh my god, whatever, I don't care, and it's like you just want to le- leave and you don't yeah. care about anything going on. It's just whatever. Let me go do something else. Mm-hmm. Emmett's implied powers that he real strong. And then Rosalie's implied power is that she's so hot. Let's just turn her into lust. Where it's like, she's so hot, but then... <laughs> giant razor sharp nails. I mean, the, the other option is... So, the vampire powers are supposed to be something that's uh, increased from your greatest asset when you are a human. Okay. And so if you're a human who already has supernatural powers, then that just becomes your vampire power. Yeah. So, like, Ed- Edward says, oh, I was real good at reading people, now I can literally do that. Because I was looking at Rosalie's TV Truth page, and apparently, like, she is very proud of herself for never having tasted human blood, even though the first thing she did when she was a vampire was go and kill all of her, like, assaulters. Yeah. And But she went out of her way to make sure they didn't actually spill blood as she tortured them to death. Hmm. And then also when she found Emmett, he had been mauled by a bear. And so she carried him across, like, multiple states in order to get him to Carlisle so he could be transformed. And at no point did she, like, but what if I did a quick taste? <laughs> For the listeners at home, Tanner did a a, a thing that kind of reminded me of Hannibal Lecter's, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what if Rosalie's actual power is that she just doesn't need as much blood? Okay, yeah. Like, everyone else has to hunt bears and cougars, and Rosalie's like, I'll just eat one bird. Yeah. She has like the perfect vampiric metabolism, basically. Yeah, she just like she can she orders a few raw steaks and she's good for the next few weeks. She's basically an alligator. <laughs> <laughs> and then Emmett's power. I don't know, he literally thick skinned? He survived getting mauled by a bear. Yeah, he's the Ben Grimm. There you go. Also, maybe not every single Carlisle is white. Yeah. Fun fact, black people can also be pale. Mm-hmm. Yeah, goobers. Also, like, you could still have a dark-skinned person, but maybe they do look a bit, I don't know, ashen? Yeah, like, that. that's yeah. exactly the thing. Yeah, yeah, it's all about, like, blood to the skin that gives the appearance of liveliness. Exactly, and there are, I've seen multiple art tutorials on, like, here's how you write a pale or a vampiric black person without just turning them into, like, so that they look like a white person who was on a tanning bed a little bit. Mm-hmm. Vampirism does not make you white. Yeah. Yeah, goober. Yeah. Like, I've been on writing with color. Like, I know how to handle a, a person with dark skin who might have jaundice, for example. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we're almost done. I think yeah. the last thing we have to say is, are we keeping the baseball scene? Yeah. We gotta keep the baseball yes. scene. Every movie has a baseball scene, actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what if every movie has a different, like, sports scene? <laughs> and 
And look, I just want to see some fancy vampires getting dressed up in like weird baseball outfits and then trying to be goth, but also playing baseball. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? A thunderstorm's coming in, so uh, I think that we should set up the uh, supermassive black hole track so we can go listen to a friendship promo. <laughs> We are B. Jordan and Brian, and we're the hosts of a new podcast, Afterbite. It's a podcast, and it's a kind of like a Vampire Diaries fan cast. It's only ten years too late. We waited till the perfect time to talk about the Vampire Diaries, and we decided it was now. I would like to uh, say that it's not ten years too late. It's ten years right on time. Yep. Okay. We're just a couple that. months too late. The way this podcast works is we're going to watch every single episode of The Vampire Diaries, The Originals, and Legacies in order, talk about them, and rank them so you don't have to, basically. We're doing all the heavy lifting for you. Yeah, you're welcome, because I don't heavy lift anything. We're going to be Vampire Diaries in it up, and I love Vampire Diaries. B hates it. Mm -hmm. Jordan I, has I don't never... love it. Well, she doesn't love it. Okay, well, that's fair. Jordan has never seen it. So it's going to be, as the kids say, lit. Do kids still say that? I don't know. No one says that anymore. Oh, they don't? That's sad. You know what, Brian? You and me can bring it back. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dab on them haters. This podcast is for fans of The Vampire Diaries or people who are really intimidated by the amount of episodes in TVD. We're making it manageable for you. Yeah, this is basically if you only watch Legacies and don't understand anything. That's me. I'm, I'm that person. And we're going to experience this together. I mean, the Twilight soundtrack did introduce an entire generation of people to, like, Death Cab for Cutie, so, yeah. This is true. Yeah. This is true. It did have a really good soundtrack. <laughs> All right, Lindsay, where can you be found on the internet? I can be found on Twitter at lindsaym476. That's Lindsay spelled with an A, and you can get to all my other social media bullshits from there. Tanner, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at SparkyUpstart, and on Instagram at SparkyYoungUpstart. You can also find this very podcast on Twitter at N-I-I-R-Y-F-Pod. Those are the letters for Not If I Reboot You First, and they're pronounced Nessie. <laughs> you can also send us an email at notifirebootyoufirst at gmail.com, where you can send us your comments, critiques, criticisms, and your reasons why Nessie is a terrible nickname. <laughs> You named my daughter after the Loch Ness Monster! <laughs> Drop kicks Jacob out of the house. <laughs> it's honestly not that terrible of a name. Who is Jacob's love interest? Renezme. No! Who is Jacob's love interest in the reboot? Oh, there was a- Leah! Yes, okay, good. You know, a grown woman. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyways, the email address is also where you can send us a friendship promo, be an audio clip or a proof for us to read. But either way, uh, we'll put in a free ad for your podcast or your YouTube or even your DeviantArt. <laughs> Not if I ever bit you first as a member of the Corner Podcast Network and you can talk more about the show or, or others on the network via our Corner Podcast Discord. Our cover art, as always, is by Alex and her work can be found on ptchew.com. And our theme music is done by our friend Sean Click and you can contact us to find a contact him if you need to give his own for your own. This podcast is recorded on Treaty 4 territory, the traditional lands of the Cree, and Saltil, Assiniboine, and Métis. Last but not least, don't forget that you can buy this episode for yourself. It is not an NFT, it is just your name on a spreadsheet, but for a minimum $5 donation to the North Central Family Center, link in the description, we will declare that you are the owner of this podcast episode or any episode that you so desire. So Tanner. So Lindsay. 
Got a hint for us? Uh, I don't have a hint, but Theo might, because oh. he's going to be gusting next week. Yay! Uh, yeah. Your karma system sucks, and we're going to fix it. Okay, then. I don't know what this is for. Me neither. I'm thinking video game. Anyway. I f it, feels, it feels like a gamer moment. Yeah. <laughs> what if it's Mass Effect? I don't know if Theo has emotions about Mass Effect. The only, the only one that I can think of is uh, Fable. Okay. Yeah, that would actually make sense. Yeah, okay. Well, we'll uh, figure that out next week. But not if we reboot you first. Bye.